new data comes in, the assumption changes. You can't stay with the original assumption that new data always changes it. Welcome to the Rain Insights Podcast on security with Brian Lynch. I'm Emily Donahue. In today's episode, Brian speaks to Jay Grusin and Steve Lindo of Intelligent Risk Management about their analysis of the 737 MAX crashes. They've recently published an article about the developments that push the 737 upgrade from manageable risk into uncertainty and then into disaster. Welcome back to the podcast, Jay and Steve. Thank you very much for the welcome, Brian. As your book and Target article already published, you chose Boeing as your next subject. Why? So as you can imagine, um, we got quite a lot of feedback from, first of all, the book and then from the Target article. And many of the readers reminded us that successful companies typically think of their decision-making processes as being perfectly sound. That's kind of a a combination of years of success and a confidence in the way that they, they take their decisions. And yet, obviously, as the as our research and the evidence shows, successful companies still continue to trip over themselves. Disasters occur. We don't need to list all of them. But what we decided to do is that we would pick uh, a particular company, and the one that we chose was Boeing and the situation with its 737 MAX, to try to demonstrate that no company, no matter how successful, is immune from making flawed decisions. And as we argue, a disciplined decision-making testing process, like we advocate in our book, Intelligent Analysis, can make these kinds of flawed decisions preventable. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate that. With the 737 MAX story and impact to the airline industry out there, obviously, and reported on, what in particular struck you about this story, the 737 MAX? Well, I spent many years, obviously, in, in practicing financial risk management. That's, you know, my particular uh, area of expertise. And over the years, I acquired um, an attention to anything that seems anomalous. So obviously, just reading the news, and I saw about the Lion Air crash. Um, and then when a second crash occurred in predominantly similar situations with the Ethiopian Airlines, that aroused my suspicions that there was some kind of anomaly in this aircraft um, that potentially might have been responsible. So I called up Jay and I suggested that we use the the technique that we published in our uh, book about intelligent analysis to investigate the series of decisions that Boeing made that led them to install the automated flight control software, which everyone now knows to be called MCAS, that was powerful enough to override the pilot's Uh, in an aircraft that was destined to be ferrying passengers in tens of thousands around the world. As a CIA analyst, I also spent my 40 years looking for anomalies. And and of course, we love data. And so off I go looking for the story. And we dug really deeply into looking for Boeing's decisions and the series of process of how they made the decisions that derailed the MAX. We used a lot of different sources. We have a bibliography in the back that highlights the best ones, but we used, we used uh, there were some great technical assessments of uh, the airplane design, the flight systems, and the software, detailed U.S. congressional investigations, executive branch investigations, and Boeing's own technical manuals. And, and the man, technical, technical manuals were really critical. The other thing that surfaced in, in, in my research are a thousand emails 
that were dumped in Congress after a FOIA, uh, after a successful FOIA was launched. So, it, and it became really clear pretty quickly that this was far more complex than Target in Canada. It, much, much higher stakes, life and death decision under intense pressure with literally dozens of stakeholders. And, and so the tools and processes of intelligent analysis really created a critical path for us to sort through this minefield. And, and again, to be really clear, tighten our focus on dissecting the decision-making, not, not relitigating whether or not Boeing was right or not. What were the, what were the decisions that they made? And what were the key decision points? Yeah, that, that certainly makes sense. And, and obviously there's been multiple analyses of the, the tragic story of, of the two crashes uh, they're out there. They've been published. What did your intelligent analysis process reveal that others didn't? As uh, as as Jay was explaining about the depth and the breadth of the analysis that he performed, um, taking it as a whole and looking at it from you know from a one thousand foot view, what we saw is that there was uh, plenty of information about what happened. But really, there weren't many arguments, and those that were weren't very convincing as to why Boeing installed software that proved ultimately to be defective, and then how the aircraft with that defective software came to be certified by the FAA. So Jay and I, we decided we would use our method. We would then dig into, uh, as Jay just mentioned, the series of decisions and inevitably aircraft design development and production is an entire lengthy daisy chain of of progress-related decisions. What in those particular decisions that Boeing made before launching this particular aircraft and then during the development and production phase, um, that would would be the key to understanding why um, the software was implemented the way it was uh, and then ultimately certified, certified and, as history then showed, um, failed in such a tragic fashion. I, I think, I think to, to build on, on Steve's point, um, most, of the, most of the literature out there was looking for nefarious causes. Uh, they were looking, for, they're looking to pin fault on Boeing simply because the crashes took place. But we decided, taking a look at decisions, we had a focus on, on, on identifying and testing assumptions. And that's really been the heart of intelligent analysis. What, why, why was Boeing so confident? What assumptions were they making that they held to, to got, that got them to the place where, where the planes crashed? Testing assumptions is how analysts gaze, gauge the, the confidence level of any decision. And almost half our book is focused on developing and testing assumptions. And we found that Boeing's assumptions were just readily apparent based on their own statements and, and various postmortems. There was no mystery about how, what they were thinking about when they decided to go ahead and, and re-engine the aircraft. Yeah, th- thanks for that, uh, uh, Steve and Jay. And let, let's, uh, let's go a little deeper here. Let's, let's uh, please explain to the listeners, how exactly did your method in this Boeing case be applied and uh, let, let's start there. So, Steve, can we start with you on that one? Yeah. So the primary tool, the one, as, as Jay mentioned, about how our book um, predominantly focuses on assumptions, their quality and their impact on decisions. So the key tool that we used for our purposes in this analysis was the key assumptions check. This, this is a five-step process. And what it does is it identifies the assumptions and then it assesses their validity 
um, in order to be able to prove whether or not these important series of essentially high-stakes decisions made by Boeing were really justified, that Boeing's confidence in its development and eventual delivery of the aircraft was really predicated on, on verifiable evidence. So what we found, and this is, of course, this is why the, the, the topic of MCAS is kind of central to our particular narrative uh, about Boeing, is that what we found is that when Boeing introduced MCAS for very valid engineering reasons, what that did was it changed the variables in the original assumptions that were adopted by Boeing when they launched the project in the first place. Um, so because of the fact that the MCAS uh, was essentially an unprecedented design feature for a passenger aircraft, um, in other words, different from what people readily understand to be um, autopilot, you know, autopilot is something which the pilot voluntarily engages in the most stable flying conditions, but that's not what MCAS was designed to do. Essentially, MCAS, first of all, it was implemented in an involuntary fashion. It basically could override the pilots in certain peculiar uh, flight control circumstances. And so um, the, the underlying assumptions that primarily were disrupted by the, the introduction of MCAS um, was uh, the first assumption that, that, that we looked at when Boeing prepared its original project was Boeing was reasonably certain that it could deliver this upgraded version of the 737 uh, on schedule uh, according to its uh, promises um, on, to its customers. Then when we did a second set of assumptions, um, we reassessed those original assumptions that we, in, in our article, we felt were valid using this method of the key assumptions check. We reassessed those original assumptions and included a new assumption, which was clearly predicated on the fact that a new variable had been introduced into the aircraft design in the form of MCAS. And so when we introduced a new assumption into the original mix, um, now that MCAS was part of the design, we identified that in fact, it materially changed the validity of Boeing's original assumptions. And Jay will explain that in more detail in just a moment, but for, for your listeners, what I'd like to do is to, for them to try to visualize what happened with the introduction of MCAS into this set of assumptions. We think of um, the what you might call the, the risk profile of a complicated project, like the design of uh, the 737 MAX. We think of it like a horizontal spectrum. And at the very left side of the spectrum is practically speaking that certainty, that something that is tried and true and, and highly reliable. And at the right end of the spectrum, way across, that's uncertainty. That's a world in which uh, there are more variables than can reasonably be computed. Um, it's a world of doubt. And of course, we all deal with that um, in, in every fashion in our daily lives um, related to the pandemic and so on. And then in the middle of the spectrum is typically that's where risk which can be managed with appropriate tools and techniques with Boeing's um, many decades of experience designing aircraft. So what, what we think of is what happened between the first and the second set of assumptions was the first assumption had Boeing squarely managing the risks of this project in the way it had done uh, for decades. Then with the introduction of MCAS, that shifted the 
the project from the risk into the uncertainty area of the spectrum. And what our analysis showed was that the evidence of MCAS supports that shift, but the Boeing executives in charge of the project didn't realize that the project had shifted along the spectrum um, from risk into uncertainty. Yeah, th- thanks, Steve, for that. And, and Jay, let's turn to the, the five steps that you conducted to, uh, to reach this conclusion during your process. Okay, the, the, the book really underscores the importance of, of process. And it sounds, it sounds more complicated than it really is, but it's a, it's a way of moving through the process to sort out exactly the level of confidence you can have in, in the judgment that you're making. Uh, the first one really is to determine what we call the, the key intelligence question. And this is really critical because, because getting the question wrong, okay, leads you down a rabbit hole. Let me give you a really quick example, Brian, using you as, as, as my foil. Listen to this question. Listen to these two questions. To what extent has Brian Lynch been involved in drug trafficking over the last month? As opposed to how many pounds of marijuana did Brian Lynch move in the last week? Listen to those two questions. The first question, I'm leaving myself open to see either Brian's at zero or he's at 100%. The second one, I'm only looking at data that says Brian's guilty. Okay. And, and so the, the importance of the question, it can't be underscored. You're really trying to solve out. You're trying to figure out what problem are you trying to fix? Is it, finding, is it determining Brian's extent or finding him guilty? And, and, and you can look at the two questions that we use for Boeing in, in, in the article to sort of get, get a sense of how that applied to them. Here's the, here's a correct intelligence question that they should have been asking. Uh, to what extent is Boeing able to design, produce, and market a re-engine 737 that is both safe and competitive with Airbus's A320 by May of 2017. Okay, bingo. They can or they can't. The other question was, uh, a question that, that, that calls for a much more narrow answer is something like this. How soon can Boeing get a re-engine 737 certified by the FAA? One is being driven by a, di- a timeline. The other one is looking really much more deeply at whether or not they can do it and where the capabilities are. You really don't want an airline saying probably or highly like it. You want to say, we will do this. And that's how they answered the question. The second, the second step, the first step is to get the question right. The second step is really to identify what we call the working assumptions that had to hold in order for Boeing to achieve its desired outcome, which is to, to, to build, to re-engine the 737 successfully. And, and, and then from that, you get down to five key assumptions. So the working assumptions are a list of all the possible assumptions that have to hold uh, for, the, for, the, for them to get their desired outcome, which is to de- deliver the airline, the, the aircraft on time. So from that list, and again, this is all done by a group. This isn't, this isn't Jay and Steve sitting at, uh, Jay and Steve or Jay and Steve alone sitting and figuring this out. All the stakeholders are around the table. The engineers, the marketing people, everyone's around the table that has a piece of the decision. And so from the 20, they pick five, which we then, those are the ones that we used on the scale uh, in, in the key assumptions check, looking for factual credibility and a potential impact on the assessment. Our, our, our test of Boeing's pre-commitment, that is the first time we ran it, indicated that Boeing was justified in assuming that they could meet the deadline. The high level of confidence will be able to meet the deadline. There's no question they had a hundred year history. They've done the, the 737 was a well-known plane. There was no reason for them to think that they couldn't do it. Okay. So then uh, from the five key assumptions based on our ratings, okay, after we look at after we fill out the table, we choose what are called two linchpins assumptions that would cause the entire project to fail if either one of them failed. And these are the two most important long poles in the tent that really surfaced in, in our analysis about what Boeing was really wrestling with. 
That's a, a critical point to make in the process and an outcome that you're trying to, to uh, deliver upon uh, in whatever project or whatever uh, engineering feat that is, that is attempted. The next piece of, of your process, in my opinion, uh, is really critical here, is, is the identification, as you noted, of the two linchpin assumptions, uh, which drive the analysis. So, Steve, can I ask you to talk about what those two linchpin assumptions were during your process? Yeah, exactly. So, as, as you both highlighted, um, decomposing the decision-making process into the assumptions and then the key assumptions and then the linchpins, this really reveals the extent of where your, what you might call the, the critical flexion points are in this hugely complex project. And so therefore, by, by virtue of using this method, um, we were able to identify these two linchpin assumptions because if either one of them, not even both, but either one should fail, it would put the entire project in jeopardy. And so by this process of reduction, logical analysis using the key assumptions uh, rating system, we found that the first of the two linchpin assumptions was that passenger safety would drive all Boeing design decisions, that it was absolutely non-negotiable. The, the plane that was designed and certified in flight would have to be, by all Boeing's possible engineering standards, safe for passengers. The second linchpin assumption, and this is where the situation becomes more complicated, was that the 737 MAX would achieve its FAA certification by May of 2017. Now, in the original assessment, knowing what Boeing knew at the time when the project was launched, they had every confidence, as we confirmed, that they could achieve both of those two linchpin assumptions um, simultaneously. However, when they introduced MCAS, which we tabulated in our article by doing the second or the, the, the reassessment of those assumptions, including a new assumption uh, as to the unique nature of the MCAS software in uh, a passenger aircraft, when we revised the exact same process, the same key assumptions, the same rating system, what we found is that the, the two linchpin assumptions could not both hold up at the same time. In other words, that the, the degree of certainty that the certification by May 2017 and the absolute commitment to passenger safety began to become uh, essentially mutually inconsistent. So in other words, the high-powered version of MCAS that was installed in the closing months of the 737 MAX development, essentially, it made these two linchpin assumptions mutually exclusive, and thereby lies the heart of our analysis. So building on Steve's point, this is how the assessment fell apart. It turned out that the, the Boeing technical manual and the emails were the critical piece of the story. Why? No one who had done analyses before had looked at exactly when the new, the new more aggressive in, uh, MCAS was introduced and, and, uh, and how it was introduced, okay? And, and what we found is that um, that, we, that was introduced, the more aggressive MCAS that took control away from the pilot was introduced in, in January, 2017, okay? Four months before, four months before the plane was to be certified, okay? Four months. And 
what happened was during the test flights, they found that the plane was unstable at, 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 at another instance, another situation. And they installed this more aggressive MCAS to solve the problem. It was a patch. And the FAA went along with it, okay? They didn't tell the pilots. They didn't tell the airlines. They just got approval to keep it in. And they got the approval to keep it in without any additional pilot training or even putting it in the manual. And this, and this surfaced really, if, if you looked at, at the, only if you looked at the Boeing technical manual and at the precise minute by minute timeline that the emails revealed uh, when the decision was made. Uh, it, was, it, was pretty, it was pretty amazing. And, and as Steve said, they couldn't do both. They, they simply couldn't do both. And there were voices that were raised briefly, um, but they were ignored. And, and, and the heart of the matter, okay, and, and remember, Boeing said, we'll be able to deliver, okay? But looking at the evidence and what Steve's analysis was, is it probably should have been highly likely. And this is not what you do with an airplane. It, it, you can't have a highly likely probability of delivering a safe airplane. And, and what they did is they put themselves in a situation where they couldn't both meet the deadline and, and keep their commitment, their historic commitment to passenger safety. It was earth shattering to, frankly, from, from my perspective, to, to overlay those two pieces of data. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, you know, you're both uh, Jay and, and Steve's analysis here and the linchpins, in, in my humble opinion, are spot on because I think your linchpin assumption one is really comes down to, and I'm going to bring it down to the, uh, the, the passenger, to the, the customer that has trust in the system, trust in the fact that a company will provide a product that works. Uh, and your process your analytical process has identified uh, two linchpins that were uh, really working against each other. And uh, what, what I'd like to ask you next, uh, both Steve and Jay, uh, the big takeaways from your analysis, what, what, what are the big takeaways that you identified during your review of the process that Boeing uh, followed and uh, unfortunately did not allow uh, for the outcome that I'm, I know they wanted. Yes. Yeah, so my, my prime takeaway from the analysis that we conducted is that Boeing didn't consciously compromise the safety of its aircraft. There was no recognition um, amongst the Boeing executives that the introduction of MCAS and then the subsequent increase in power during the final stages of, of the aircraft's development um, would could potentially compromise the aircraft's safety. So in other words, um, the situation evolved and uh, it was the failure of the executives was not to re- recognize the potential uh, disastrous consequences that could occur with this new variable in the aircraft design. The second big takeaway for me is that these kinds of unrecognized situations where new factors change materially uh, the likely outcome of a particular situation, a complex project like the 737 MAX, is that it's absolutely crucial to test these kinds of decisions, which can't subsequently be reversed, um, in order to be able to identify whether or not there are any any recognition failures like the one that we profiled in the Boeing article, because basically with Boeing, the assumptions they made at the start of the project 
remained frozen throughout the entire project, and yet they introduced this new and extremely potent variable in the form of MCAS, and they didn't recognize that it had changed their assumptions, and so they completed, certified the aircraft, and history then tells us the dire consequences that resulted. So, for me, frozen assumptions, and this is what really happened. As Steve said, they had new data that showed that they couldn't do both, and they ignored it. And, and, and for me, um, it, it turned out that the last man standing, the last assumption that actually held up was the FAA's willingness to certify the aircraft without additional testing. They agreed to do it. And, and that was, for me, uh, that to me stood out as we looked at the last, uh, we looked at the last key assumptions check. For, and, and, and really, this article took a long time to, to, to gestate. Uh, we talked a long time about assigning appropriate ratings to the assumptions in, in, in both of them. And it was clearly signaled. It was really, as I said, it became really evident um, that they had that they'd moved quickly and with some force moving from risk to uncertainty. And, and again, Boeing had the data. They had the data uh, that would have changed assumptions validity, but they remained frozen, even, even in the face of new data. And this is something for, the re- for, for your listeners to remember. When new data comes in, the assumption changes. And, and, and that's, that's another important lesson to take. You can't stay with the original assumption that new data always changes it. They should have known better. Thanks, Jay and, and Steve. Great points. And it was certainly eye-opening for me to read your paper and the results of your analytical process and what you rightly pointed out, that no organization is immune to bad decisions. And Jay, related to the assumptions initially defined, cannot be frozen in time uh, in the face of new data. I want to thank both of you for taking the time to explain your intelligent analysis method and process and providing your fresh insights into this highly publicized and tragic set of events. Uh, For our listeners and uh, who want to read your article, uh, where can they best find it? Well, we are very glad to share this article with any of your listeners who are interested. Um, On our website, intelligentriskmanagement.solutions, all they have to do is to go to the publications page. Uh, They can download a copy of the article and read it at their leisure. Other than that, um, Brian, I can only say on on behalf of Jay and myself, it's really a pleasure uh, to talk with you, to to have a chance to engage with your listeners. Um, It's an extremely uh, valuable uh, community. And for us, um, it's a real pleasure to be able to spend a few minutes with you. Brian, thank you very much. Jay Grusin and Stephen Lindo established Intelligent Risk Management that brought together intelligence, analytic, and financial risk techniques and processes to create a new approach to identify and manage risk. There's a link to their analysis of the 737 MAX on the podcast page at rainnetwork.com. RAIN offers risk intelligence solutions to more than 400 leading corporations, government agencies, and academic institutions. They turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Learn about how RAIN can help you. Join us at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.